A very warm welcome to our brand new podcast series, Competitive Edge. We're looking to do a series of short podcasts covering a range of topics and thought we would kick off with a topic that is increasingly gaining a lot of traction and interest in the competitional world and also a topic very close to my colleague Ariane's heart who I'm talking to today and that is sustainability. Sustainability, exactly. So more particularly, we thought we would focus on where the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, is heading when it comes to sustainability initiatives and how we need to think about competition law in that mix. But before we launch in, perhaps it's good to do a quick introduction of ourselves. So I'm Saskia, I'm a legal director in the competition team based in London. And I recently joined Bird and Bird from the UK competition authorities. I worked at the Competition and Markets Authority and the Payment Systems Regulator. And just a fun fact about me, I live in Deepest Kent on a farm and we have a lot of chickens, ducks and a turkey. Enough about me, let's find out a little bit about my colleague Ariane. Of course. Hi everyone, my name is Ariane. I'm a senior associate I'm in the team here in London. Um, I've been at Bird and Bird for about six years and before joining Bird and Bird I was uh, at the CMA. So we've both got experience as the regulators which is uh, quite unusual actually for a private practice team. Um, and during lockdown, I've started taking online life drawing classes and I've really, really enjoyed them. So that's a fun fact of something different I've tried from last year. No, that sounds good to me, Ariane. Okay, well, let's move on, shall we, to our topic, sustainability. So it's an important topic and it's worthwhile, we thought, to do a roundup of the latest guidance around competition law and how that is supporting the transition to net zero and beyond. And we also know how significant this issue is for the CMA, as sustainability has this year been set out as a strategic priority. So the CMA has been doing, I would say, some real soul searching on how to ensure competition policy does not stand in the way of transition to net zero and has actively been publishing guidance on this point. But of course, one question is whether the CMA could have done more, given how much other competition authorities have been doing in this area, thinking particularly of the Dutch Competition Authority. But perhaps that's something we can use on later. Right. So let's kick things off with collaboration and standard setting. So let's think about uh, horizontal relationships. So Ariane, could you briefly talk us through the guidance released by the CMA in the last year? Yes, of course. So back in January, uh, the CMA produced guidance on horizontal sustainability agreements. So that's uh, sustainability agreements between competitors or potential competitors. The guidance aims to help businesses and of course trade associations to understand how competition law applies to collaboration agreements and where issues could potentially arise. The CMA would like to ensure that competition policy does not create an unnecessary obstacle to sustainability initiatives in case businesses believe that they may breach competition law, so try and avoid to come together to discuss such topics. So how are sustainability agreements defined? The CMA defines them as cooperation agreements between businesses for the attainment of sustainability goals. So that can include a wide range of objectives in addition to dealing with climate change as the most obvious goal. It's worth stating at the outset that there is nothing new in the document. So it's just a nice refresher really of the existing rules and how they apply in the context of sustainability. Uh, but perhaps the CMA could have been a bit braver on this front. 
Yes, no, that's a good point, Ariane. Thank you. So what are the key principles set out in the guidance? So the CMA set out um, that many forms of collaborations for the achievement of sustainability are unlikely to raise competitional issues. So for example, if you group together for research and development purposes, this is unlikely to harm competition, as long as, of course, it is your business doesn't have uh, market power. I say unlikely because it's always worth looking at the actual terms of the research and development agreements themselves. But overall, if that's the purpose, then it's less likely to breach competition rules. Collaboration can help achieve sustainability goals, of course, but where a sustainability agreement is used as a cover for a cartel, of course, that's something businesses need to watch out for, in particular, the exchange of sensitive commercial information, or if that's what the agreement or the when two parties come together to discuss sensitive information, of course, the agreement will be prohibited and it may lead to lead to a cartel investigation. The CRA really singles out the exchange of any competitive sensitive information as a likely anti-competitive behaviour to avoid. And this is, of course, logical, because if you're coming together with your competitors and you're going to start talking and collaborating, even for a purpose such as sustainability, the easiest way to slip up is to exchange information that you really shouldn't be exchanging, perhaps by accident, but it still counts as a, you know, exchange of sensitive information. So, of course, the CMA also reminds businesses that they should seek independent legal advice in the event of uncertainty, especially if they're not sure whether a conduct is acceptable or not. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The risk of spillover into discussing commercially sensitive information is always a risk whenever competitors get together. And I've seen this so many times now when I was working at competition authorities. And as you said, it's often done inadvertently. So it's always a really good idea to think about procedures and policies that you should put in place before commencing such discussions. So now let's think about standard setting. Obviously, many sustainability agreements will relate to the setting of standards. Does the guidance touch on this? Yes, it does. So, of course, many sustainability agreements will relate to setting of standards, as you just said. For example, on the product's environmental performance, I think that's probably the most obvious one. Mm. Um, so the guidance provides pointers on how to set up new standards and how these can be competition compliant. So all stakeholders should be informed if you're going to be coming together to set up uh, standards. The participation of all competitors within the market should be guaranteed. Access to the standard should be done on fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory terms. If the standard setting involves uh, intellectual property, participants should disclose in good faith their essential IP to the implementation of the standard and of course offer to license it on their terms. And of course, members of a standard setting organisation should be free to develop alternative standards. That's quite important. So, yeah, so when setting standards, of course, do not exchange commercially sensitive information, uh, which goes beyond what is necessary for the setting of standards. So that's all good and very sensible um, advice and pointers. So can the sustainability agreement benefit from a block exemption? So if the combined market share of the business involved falls below a certain threshold and the agreement does not contain any prohibited restrictions, it can benefit from one of the many block exemptions. Uh, there are specific block exemptions for research and development, specialisation, technology transfer, and, and other types of vertical agreements, and we'll touch upon uh, that in a minute. But in, block exemptions will automatically provide a safe harbour, which will exempt the agreement from the application of competition law. Okay, right, thank you. And what about uh, individual exemptions? 
So where a sustainability agreement doesn't fall under a block exemption, um, the parties to the agreement need to self-assess, essentially, to determine whether the agreement uh, could benefit from an individual exemption. Individual exemptions need to consider the agreement in its economic context on a case-by-case basis. Um, the agreement will only be capable of benefiting from an individual exemption if it generates efficiencies, and these efficiencies cannot be achieved with other economically practicable or less restrictive means. Um, if these efficiencies benefit consumers, and the agreement will not lead to the elimination of competition in the market. It's quite a high threshold, of course. <laughs> yes, no, it is. You're quite right. So we've now looked at the latest from the CMA on horizontal agreements. That's agreements between competitors. What about in relation to a vertical agreements and sustainability? What's the latest from the CMA on this? So sustainability is more likely to raise competition concerns in the context of horizontal agreements. Um, and we've just explored this, but um, it's worth mentioning vertical agreements as well and how issues may arise here. So in, as some of you may know, the CMA is currently overhauling following Brexit the way it looks at vertical agreement. And we've written articles on this, but it recently issued a consultation document on the future of UK supply chain agreements. So just a little add on here, vertical agreements are between non-competitors. So you're talking about supply chain agreement, distribution and franchising agreements. And the consultation was published a few weeks ago, and it summarizes the points which were made by stakeholders during roundtables and sets out the rules which will are likely to feature in the UK version of the current EU regulation. So the consultation specifically looked at sustainability. It was definitely one of the topics they asked stakeholders at the roundtable to discuss. And the concerns that may arise uh, were listed within the consultation. So they've, the CMA spotted an, uh, an increasing trend that for brands to require their networks and distributors to become sustainable. And also in the context of selective distribution, the CMA is looking to set up more clarity on the extent to which environmental sustainability criteria for admission to a selective distribution system can be considered necessary to protect the quality of the product or the reputation of the brand. The CMA is not going to make amendments in respect of sustainability within the vertical order itself, but it's definitely going to provide a lot of guidance in, uh, within the guidance which will accompany the order. In particular, we're expecting a focus in relation to criteria for admission to selective distribution system. I think that's really where, where all of these issues arise the most. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And certainly, I think actually the CMA perhaps has a little bit more work to, to do here. I mean, businesses are clearly looking for guidance as sustainability is... In my view, certainly, and I think you probably agree, becoming more of a must-have factor to consider when entering into agreements and supply chain agreements, because um, also consumers want sustainability as being part of the general overall piece. So I think it's important for businesses to remember that using the sustainability banner is not a, what I'd call a get-out-of-jail-free card if they are, in fact, acting in ways that is anti-competitive. And certainly, you know, the CMA will have a little tolerance of this. Yeah, I actually think sustainability has become, is a point on which companies are starting to compete with one another. Yeah. So it's not too dissimilarly to price, yet, you know, they are trying to outdo each other to be the one that's the most sustainable or has the most sustainable supply chain. So I think it's only going to become more and more important in the competition analysis going forward. Yeah, no, so definitely one for us to be keeping an eye on. So the last topic uh, I wanted to cover today is the regulation of sustainability claims. 
So what, what is the latest from the CMA on this? So the CMA's consumer protection arm has been dealing with sustainability claims, and they're increasingly becoming part of the purchasing experience for customers. Usually they accompany a product information and they'll state that a product has a low or a positive environmental impact. Um, I mean, such claims can be, you know, essentially just a normal advertising in green writing or, you know, saying like environmentally friendly. But the question is, what does that actually mean? Does it mean anything? And, you know, what is what what's the legality behind all these claims? So definitely such claims have very much been under the microscope across the EU. And particularly the Dutch um, ACM has published guidance on this in recent months and it's looking at it intensively. And the CMA is uh, following suit. Um, it's published guidance uh, following a market investigation on the state of play of misleading sustainability claims uh, back in May. And interestingly, it's issued six guiding principles for companies seeking to make sustainability claims, which are, first of all, that the claim should be truthful and accurate. So that means they shouldn't be overstated or exaggerated. Um, they should be clear and unambiguous. That's phrased in a straightforward manner and easily understood. Thirdly, claims shouldn't omit or hide important information. So comparisons should enable consumers to make informed choices and compare like for like, basically. Fourth guiding principle is that the comparisons should be fair and meaningful. So they should enable consumers to make informed choices and compare like for like again. The fifth uh, guiding principle is very interesting. So the full life cycle of products should be considered. Um, so all aspects of a product's environmental impact are important, including its component, where it's manufactured, its use, performance, and the way it's disposed, and any waste or byproduct. Um, and I think that's really interesting and also is not particularly covered within the Dutch guidelines. So uh, an interesting point to take away here. And lastly, the sixth guiding principle is that claims should be substantiated. And that's really important because essentially businesses need to keep up-to-date evidence which backs up any claims they make in their newsletters or on advertising. And that's quite important and that's definitely something they need to look at. But we've written a full update on these guidelines and you can find it on our, on our website. Well, thank you very much, Ariane. Uh, that's been really informative. Of course, it goes without saying that anyone who's got any questions on this should get in touch with us. And also just to say thank you very much for listening to our first Competitive Edge podcast. Thanks, everyone. Bye.